Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today, everybody, we are in for a major treat. I'm super excited. We have Cole Galloway, who is joining us today, as well as Andrina Sabet and Kirsty Miles, and we are talking about the Go Baby Go ride on cars, but we're actually going to talk about a lot more than that. So if you guys don't know what Go Baby Go is, like, stay tuned. We are in for a major treat. This is awesome. I am so excited. Dr. Galloway. Could you start us off with introductions and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and background, and then we'll go on down the line. How's that sound? That sounds perfect. Um, Hi, everybody. I'm Cole Galloway. Right now, I'm a professor at the University of Delaware in the physical therapy department. Um, What people need to know about me is probably best described about what I'm not. I'm not a licensed PT anymore. I used to work in rehab and stroke, spinal cord, and head injury. I've never treated a pediatric client. Although all my research right now is split between babies, very young kids under three years old, and teens and adults. Um, my PhD is in neuroscience and physiology, but I don't like the brain as much as I like playgrounds and sort of behavior. I'm not an engineer, although a lot about what we'll talk about today is design and prototyping and consulting. Um, I'm a researcher that doesn't particularly like research. I don't like training PhD students. I don't like having postdoctoral fellows in my lab or having, you know, um, visiting faculty. I don't necessarily enjoy the medical model of rehabilitation. So what the heck am I doing talking to you? Why would TED Talk want me to talk? Why do I get federal funding study babies and TBI survivors? Um, what the heck? And uh, what the heck is, is that my focus is on and Go Baby Go's mission is on empowering people planet-wide to co-create their lives through mobility. I'm focused on making sure you, your kid, your aunt, your uncle, um, your dog Hmm. um, is as mobile as they'd like to be, where they want to be, with who they want to be with all the time. And if it takes studying that, great, we'll do research. If it takes building cars from robots, that's great. If it takes going to Toys R Us and doing fabric, that's awesome. If it takes convincing Red Bull and the X Games, they need to partner with us to change the society's view of our kids from special needs to adventure-seeking. Wow. So I'm open to all kinds of opportunities to crush the current situations and decrease the barriers, not only for babies and kids, but I think that Go Baby Go has something to say about that your grandma, your mom, you and I, when we have our stroke, shouldn't go to a nursing home or assisted living until we have to. We should go in our own home. We can talk about technology that's available today with the harnesses we, you were mentioning off mm-hmm. camera. So that's what I'm not. I'm really here to push that site of mobility. And from what we've talked about a little bit of off mic at the beginning, you guys are already downhill on really advanced, high-impact lives for, for kids and adults. That's awesome. That's why I'm here. Andrina, introduce yourself. Let us know about you and your background and all that. I'm a pediatric physical therapist. I've been practicing um, for about 20 years, and I've gotten to practice over a huge variety of settings. So I've done a lot of work in the neonatal intensive care unit, um, a lot of inpatient experience, both on the acute rehab side in pediatrics, also with medically fragile infants and toddlers. And right now, I have my time kind of split in, in two camps. I spend a lot of time doing research with Go Baby Go, looking at the impact of mobility 
disability on kiddos, um, mostly babies with Down syndrome. And then I am also still active in the seating and mobility clinic. So early mobility has always been a big push for me and really getting kids kind of more on the higher technology end of things with power wheelchairs and those kind of technologies, getting kids and young teenagers moving that maybe haven't had the opportunity to move before. Nice. You've got a cool job. I do. Babies with Down syndrome. That's just a good time. Have all right there. It is. Well, actually, babies in general is fun, but then, <laughs> but um, that's just fun. And then NICU and then getting uh, like teenagers to move that haven't had the opportunity. How cool is that? Jeez. Yes, I get to have a lot of fun. Yeah, you do. That's awesome. Okay, Kirsty, if at this point, I don't even know, are you a guest? Are you just like a co-host or like what? <laughs> I mean, she's done a lot of podcasts with me. But for those who maybe haven't listened, tell them a little bit about yourself. I'm a pediatric physical therapist, and I've been with PDT um, since I started my career, um, which I love that we're talking to you today because I also have that that push for early mobility, and um, we've got plenty of kids in in power mobility um, by three years old. Kind of as a parent, as a mom, um, when it comes to my kids, I'm always like, well, if somebody says, like, there's something out there to help them, then I want it now. <laughs> and I have that mm-hmm. same yeah. um, that same push for the children that we treat. Like, why wait? We can do something about it now, and we can make it happen now. And there's just, there is so much of that research, you know, with depth perception and movement. And I've seen kids, once they mm-hmm. get moving, how it brings their language mm-hmm. along. And so it's just mm-hmm. that multidisciplinary approach and that push for movement is so powerful. It's just what little kids do. They move and they play with toys and they interact. They move. I mean, How they, you learn about your environment. I, I, yeah, yeah, that's what they do. I'm already freaking out a little bit because I understand when PTs are a little bit excited about the cars. I understand especially when OTs are sort of, OTs were born into a craft family. But PTs, <laughs> you know, we weren't. We we're told that high tech is the way to go to be important. And we're focused on joints and muscles. But OTs kind of born with scissors and Velcro and, you know, they made their own clothes and stuff. But my host today, you're a speech-language pathologist. You've got to explain to me. I'm going to reverse the roles here just a little Uh-oh. bit of the podcast, take this over. What the heck are you doing? You're supposed to have a dress and take my kid into a uh, quiet room and talk about run on a page. I am dead serious. I've had speech-language pathologists in my life who are good friends of mine, come in from the playground, exasperated in the child care centers that I, I sometimes work. And I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, I was trying to do an evaluation with so-and-so. And all those other kids were talking to him the whole time. And I'm like, wait, stop. And they, I get that like, grin. I want to say a certain type of grin, but it's a family show. A certain type of grin. And they're like, stop. They know exactly what's coming next. I'm like, so you told me that those kids out there were talking to your kid with language problems. How dare they socialize? And she smiles. She goes, Crazy. you don't understand. We don't have any assessments for that. We don't have any assessments that are embodied in movement and stuff. So what is an SLP doing? So You're so movement-oriented. I'm, I'm oftentimes mistaken for an OT. What the heck? How did you do that? Yeah. How did you recognize that? Well, I've worked with Kiersey for a long time. So I figured out a long time ago that you're the smartest person in the room when you've invited people smarter than you to be in the room with you and because you look like a genius then as long as you keep your mouth shut. So I've been working with Kiersey for a long time, but I don't think I'm a normal speech therapist. Like I think there's a lot of not mm, normal. So you aren't. I don't really understand how you don't move 
and do language because that's what kids do. They move and they groove. It's got to all be functional. I don't know many three-year-olds who sit in chairs. And so I'm like, well, we're not going to get rid of the chairs. Let's just go and do people. So, I mean, we can be out in the playground. We can swing. We play in the sand. We'll play with our friends. We can tell them, hey, look, move out of my way or give me the truck or roll me the ball or I want to get on the swing. All that's like in real time, real moving. And so Social communication. Yeah. You got it, brother. And so yeah. I am all about let's move and groove and do. And I, I really have a hard time. Kirstie knows. Um, I never sit in a chair. I never sit at a table and um, butt in like all kinds of like motor stuff. But she's been nice enough to invite me like for all these years. And I don't even ask anymore. Now I just like bust on in. And so I'm just fascinated by it. But I think it's because it gets me where I want to go, which is I want functional language and application and communication and social and real life, real yeah. time, real stuff. So that works for me. That's my two cents. Yeah. And I, I will tell you that the two things that come up in the academic world, one is good, one is bad. The bad is developmental psychologists. And my, my other training after my PhD was a postdoctoral fellowship at Indiana that looked at developmental mm. psychology of babies. And there's mm. a big wing of developmental psychology that considers language to be a pristine evolutionary module in the brain that has a very high wall around it that's not touched by experience. Hmm. Your grandma doesn't understand that at all. <laughs> Moms and dads that, that see kids every day go, what the what? But that, that is part of the disconnect between where I live, which is the university community and hmm. academics, hmm. and the grounded world. Now, the good news for listeners is if you believe what you just heard in terms of a core of mobility, that mobility drives so many things, mm-hmm. and then language and cognition also drive mobility, you need to look into embodied cognition. Hmm. It's a formal, it's not going to be a math, high math thing. I'm not a math guy. It's, there's a lot of writing on embodied cognition. Look under Esther Thieland, mm-hmm. and you'll read a lot of really interesting, grounded, theoretical work that can support you during that IEP, IFSP, when the boots hit the ground mm-hmm. meeting when they're trying to take your kid out of therapy because they think they're functional. Some administrators saying, well, we don't need speech or OT or PT because he's doing this, that, and the other. You can come back to, wait, being in the playground, being in the early workforce, if you work with older kids and teenagers, is very important because grounded real-world mobility and movement is a driver and is driven by embodied cognition mm-hmm. is a very interesting and it's the primary it's, it's sort of the up and comers the superstar in terms of how people think about the building of the brain hmm. and so babies are moving in the second trimester well when those downs babies or the kids that eventually have cp their high-risk preterm babies when they come out of mom they're likely to be months behind so i love what we've been talking about here which is not waiting Got to keep in mind, listener, that when your baby's coming out of mom with a special need, they'll show signs of having movement deficits, which we know are linked to cognitive language and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be up against Hussein Bolt in the 100-meter dash and be behind the start line. Mm-hmm. And people ask me all the time, should you put a kid at six months old into a race car when typically developing kids don't get into cars that early? I'm like, you only want to give them every advantage mm-hmm. if you truly believe what early intervention is about, which is starting to change experiences at the first inkling that there's going to be a difference in development. And, well, what about the cost? Well, the cost of a Go Baby Go car, as you guys know because you built them, is about 100 bucks for the car, about 100 bucks to go to Joanne Fabric and Home Depot. Tell Home Depot you're doing it. You'll get mm-hmm. as much PVC pipe as you need for the rest of your life. That's the truth. So all those barriers just fly off the shelf and are burnt down, and you're left with the individual therapist and the family's expectations. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say to families and therapists listening, if you have any trepidation about getting a kid of any flavor, not the smart ones, not that are in there, not the ones that show you bright eyes, but right. any child, um, ventilators. You can build a sidecar with PVC for a ventilator kid. We've mm. done it. Very, wow. very physically and mentally involved kids. Put them in these race cars. Make it safe. Have an engineer say it's okay. Right. Take some time, not minutes, maybe weeks, maybe months, and see what you get. Because mobility is a driver. It's a driver. And even take this home. We know even that kid that has a major bleed that comes out very, very preterm and very high risk, they have a processor that's still likely to be the largest brain in the NICU, not the NICU doc, not the, not the nurse, not the therapist. Those babies have more cells and more connections, even with a major brain injury. So the potential is just placing that child in an enriched environment, social, lots of hugs, dirt, rocks, love, and mm-hmm. constant interactions with peers. We don't know what the future lies. We really, really don't know what cerebral palsy does for example, take this. Mm-hmm. We have Down syndrome and CP, two diagnoses that everybody knows about. So Down syndrome is linked to a genetic issue. Cerebral palsy is linked to a lot of different things. But you come out high-risk preterm or moderate preterm, and some full-term kids have CP. But you have the brain damage, and then you have all the secondary issues that we're talking about in terms of movement-related issues, lack of socialization, lack of language, lack of cognition. If we were able to erase all those secondary impairments, and you're only left with the chromosomal abnormality, is Downs really that big deal? Is CP really that big a deal if we could eliminate from the beginning, maybe inside mom even, with yoga and Pilates and other things, if we could increase the movement and mobility from inside and we reduce those secondary impairments, I'll ask the audience, what is cerebral palsy? We don't know. We know cerebral palsy plus all the secondary impairments and bone changes from immobility and blah, blah, blah. So that's a really interesting 30,000 foot level of, wait a minute. Yeah. This is really important to even study. This is more than just a plastic car. It's a toy car at the beginning. It's a toy car at the end. In the middle, it's human rights and physiology and some heavy stuff. And it's wrapped in fun. You get all this for 200 bucks in about an hour, as you guys know, an hour or two of building. Yeah, and it is fun. I mean, all that stuff you're saying is hitting home. Um, you know, there's so many kids who are born, and I love working with babies who are born preterm, and I worked in a NICU, love, love, love that, because they're fascinating to me. But their lack of movement for so many months, if you think about a baby who was a 23, 24, 25-weeker, mm-hmm. they're not moving. They're not getting the normal rhythms of mom moving throughout her day. And sometimes these 23, 24, 25, 26-weekers, you know, they just may have a diagnosis of being preterm, and that's it. And at age three, they look pretty decent in terms of, like, quantity of stuff. I mean, you don't have to do much at age three in terms of quality of sounds and stuff to get pretty good on a language test. You'll be up there pretty high on a language test if you've got, you know, some pretty decent amount of words and stuff, but it's not a lot of quality. But buddy, the wheels come off the wagon at age five and six. But And I wonder if we got these mm. kids moving more when they're younger and speech therapists are that thinking about this, if that would help some of this language processing we see later because, buddy, the wheels come off that wagon at age five, six, and seven. And I'm sure the speech people are out there know exactly what I'm talking about, but they really do. And so there's all these language deficits and processing and I see it getting better the more these kids move and use their body in functional mm-hmm. ways. And so why don't we talk about the cars to start with? Because we've made the cars and you talk about this is, you know, a couple hours, very low dollar, all that. How did this happen? Um, the first thing came getting federal funding to study the impact of early mobility on typically developing kids from 
from really a basic science standpoint, would kids that are younger than crawling age that are typically developing show the same cognitive boost when we had them drive a little robot before they were crawling as we know kids get a boost in cognition and language when they start to crawl and walk? And we found, yes, in fact, if you took a, a five-month-old that wasn't crawling, a group of them, and compared them to a control group that never got the robot, all you had to do was give the kids 20 minutes three times a week of just driving this little robot around, this joystick-driven robot, and you could get the same big bump in the Bailey's cognitive score. Mm. And those of you guys that use the Bailey's know that it, it mm -hmm. kind of, Bailey's is not super sensitive. Mm -hmm. Bailey's can tell you whether the kid's kind of alive or not today. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty rigid. And, um, but it, it's something that in science, at least, uh, we use quite a bit, not so much in clinic. But we found these cognitive bumps. We also found that the kids that had their robot crawled early, they walked early, they had more words, their language scores were higher. Mm -hmm. They weren't practicing language. They weren't practicing walking. They weren't practicing crawling. They just had 20 minutes a day, three times a week, of independent mobility. And we think that what happened there was that it gave the kids an exploratory drive boost. They went back to their regular world. These are typically developing kids with a lot of resources, physical, social. So they went back to regular daycare, and this group was very tight. They were picked from the same childcare classrooms. Their parents didn't know which groups they were in. The teachers didn't know which groups they were in. And what we think was happening is that the group that went and had the robot three times a week versus being taken out of the childcare room and just played with, for example, went back into the childcare room, went back into their living room with mom and dad, and had now this drive. They had seen the future. They could look up into the distance and go, wait a minute, I want that ball across the uh, hmm. floor. And they either signaled and gestured and socially referenced their parents to go get the ball. But once they could crawl a little bit, they went gangbusters probably. We don't know a lot about the process, but that's what we think we did. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not the, actually the story. The story is what happened next, which is everybody with the exception of one group thought this was awesome. I thought it was awesome. Discovery Channel thought it was awesome. The only group that didn't think it was awesome was families. Hmm. Families of kids that needed power chairs. They would come to me at the end of talks and go, where do we get it? Well, and I'd do the regular traditional clinical researcher thing, which is I'm a researcher. I meet you 50%. The business world has to come and do that. Hmm. I didn't know much about the business world. Andrina needs to talk to you about the business world of the power wheelchair and this is technology. I can talk to you about all the pressures that are on power wheelchair manufacturers. I didn't know at the time that I had stepped in it. I had really created an opportunity. I dangled the future in front of these families. But now I was playing the card of, well, I'm just a researcher. I can't do that. And after about six months, I went back to the lab and went, I, I give up. Emotionally, this is just too tough. I feel like a fraud, and I was a fraud. I was absolutely a fraud. I've come to realize that science that dangles, even basic science, that dangles the possibility in front of a population that's vulnerable and doesn't see it through, that's fraudulent. You should probably pay fines or go to jail or something. That's cruel. That's not cool. It's like dangling an AIDS drug in front of a country and saying, you can't have that because you can't economically afford it. There's a road to hell paved with that, in my view, and... And I'm just not going to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. hmm, how do you deal with that? Well, you go back and you listen to a high schooler who said, let's just go to Toys R Us. <laughs> and so David Glansman, uh, 11th grader, and I went to Toys R Us. And Joanne Fabric was right next door. <laughs> so it went down. It's not, a, it's not an advertisement. And then the dollar store was right next door. And then Home Depot was right across the street. And so with Toys R Us, and we went and we get, took down all the ride-on cars, the manager comes running and, you know, what the heck's going on? Um, we picked a Lightning McQueen. 
We just mocked out what PVC would look like. We covered the PVC with pool noodles. We put a bunch of swimming kickboards on the backside so the kids that didn't have head control might be able to have a little bit of head control. Uh, we looked at the big red switch. And by the way, that big red switch is not, that's not a great story because the red switch that everybody knows about, yep. Ablenet switch is 60 bucks. That's a dollar switch, people. Yeah. Um, the reason that Ablenet switch is 60 bucks is because it's a medical switch. And the reason it's a medical switch is because we call it a medical switch and put it in a magazine that says medical on it. It's a scam. That ain't cool. No. Uh, that's how you get a $45,000 power chair. That's how you get part of this problem. So fast forward to today, Andrina should tell you that the, the cool stuff that she does in terms of her cars. Her cars are the Lamborghini style. And by the way, there is a Lamborghini style. But her cars are the high <laughs> exotic research cars. It's a sit-stand power walking car. So I'll stop now. Maybe she could talk about that. But, but really, the workshops that we run and that all our 60 chapters around the world run with clinicians and families it takes about two hours of fun to, as you guys have, have seen, it's not rocket science. And they are easy to adapt, which means they're easy to get out of control with the adaptations, which is awesome. There's all kinds of creative things you can do. But I'm going to stop now and let Andrea tell her a little bit about the, her car that she uses in her research. Hey, Andrea, <laughs> I do want to hear. So tell us about it. Sure. Well, um, the kiddos in the research kind of start off in the traditional Lightning McQueen style car. Mm -hmm. um, they're pretty young when they start the study. They're about six months old. So stability is really a key factor when they're in a seated position at that point, because not all of them have mastered sitting. But I really wanted something that was going to give them a lot of variety and give them a lot of opportunity to do different things with the car. So as soon as they were able, we were able to transition them to kind of more of an ATV style car. Hmm. And that car could do a variety of things. It could work with the same sort of push button to make the car go. But we also built a different framework around the car and wired the seat so that the kiddos could stand up and make the car go from a standing position. Hmm. So that when, when they would stand up, the car would go. When they would sit down, the car would stop. So we did sort of, if, you kind of in, if you're familiar with a corner chair, which is the concept of a child being in the corner of a couch or something like that, um, where you get a little bit of stability on either side, uh, we used that concept for the framework of the PVC, and that provided a really good area where the kiddo could experiment with what their own body is able to do in a very safe way. So they were allowed and able to experiment with coming to stand and making the car go that way. And then we added on another adaptation, which was actually um, came up with by one of the parents in the study, was trying to look for a way to help her baby work on walking. So she and I worked together, and we built on the back um, a second second switch adapter that would come on and a little PVC handle off the back of the car. So then it becomes a power push toy. Uh -huh. So you could set it on a very, very low speed. So the car would kind of advance along itself and the baby could walk behind the car. Or you could have a switch back there and you could put it in the switch mode and the baby could take a couple steps with it stable. Mom or baby could advance the car and then they could take a few more steps and keep working on walking that way. So it gave a really great platform to really incorporate a lot of different types of mobility with, with one car. Kind of like a um, really low, low-powered treadmill. Andrina, is that kind of what we're talking about here? So when you're walking behind the car, am I right? Yes, yes. It doesn't have the, the support that a light gate has because right. you don't have the harness system there. But yeah, it is that same sort of idea. It's sort of the reverse treadmill where the thing is moving in front of you and you have to walk to keep up with it. Right. But so many kids have challenges with initiating stepping. That was a good way to, to motivate them. 
Oh, that's fascinating. How cool is that? What makes it go when they stand up and stop when they sit down? Like, how does the switch work? So the switch is wired underneath the seat, and it's in the reverse configuration of a traditional switch. So with a traditional switch, you would hit it, and when you hit the switch, that's what activates the car. So this works in the reverse. As long as you're in contact with the switch when you're sitting on the seat, nothing is activated. But when you release that contact from the switch, when you stand up, that's what opens the circuit and activates the car. So in addition to these cars, like going and getting the kids to move and stuff, that being my most favorite thing, my second most favorite thing, is it completely teaches the child you do something to get something. So that's the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two, and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 